thank you for listening to New Covenant Worship Center's Sermon Podcast. You can visit us on the web at www.ncwc.org. And now, today's message. So let's look at, I debated how to go to this, how to approach this story. I, I thought about just jumping right into it, uh, but when I was reading, the, reading it in context, I backed up and read the beginning of chapter 12 in the Gospel of John, and, and we're going to start there because the, the setting that John talks about is, is powerful. Maybe it just resonated in my spirit when I read it, but we might not even get to the text that talks about Palm Sunday. I don't know, because I, I, I want to jump in with verse 1, because what John talks about leading up to Palm Sunday is very powerful. And so uh, let's dive into it. I'm just going to read the first few verses of chapter 12. We'll pray, and then uh, we'll see where the Spirit takes us today. John 12, starting with verse 1. The Scripture says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Man, we've been eating since the beginning, haven't we? I mean... Some Jesus people love to get together and eat. (laughs) Dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those. Notice how John describes Lazarus. He was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. perfume. She poured it out on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold? And the money given to the poor, it's worth a, it's worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. I love this. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came. And and notice what John says, not only because of him, not only, they didn't come just because of Jesus. They also came to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus. Lazarus as well. I don't know if you knew that, but their plan wasn't just to kill Jesus. It was also to take Lazarus out. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Would you bow our heads and let's pray. Holy Spirit, thank you for being here. As we have worshiped, Jesus has come. Holy Spirit, you are here. Father, you are glorified. I pray in these next few moments that you will Come in like a flood, reveal truth to us, and change us. Transform us to be greater image bearers. You created us to bear the image of God, but in these next few moments, let us, in a more powerful, in a more clear, clear way, bear the image of God Almighty as Jesus reveals himself to us. Holy Spirit, change us so that when we leave, we will be different than the way we came in. Conform us, heal us. Set us free. Make adjustments in our lives. 
that calls us to fulfill the purpose that you've placed on us. And we do this to the glory of your name, Jesus, the strong son of God. Amen. And let the church say amen. Amen. So uh, we'll get to, maybe we'll get to the Palm Sunday text, but I I just couldn't leave uh, this. Hey, my button just fell off. I couldn't just leave uh, the beginning of what John writes about alone because it it seems kind of... uh, you know, it seems kind of laid back. It seems kind of mundane, just everyday stuff. But, but if we'll dive into this for just a minute, it's powerful. And as a matter of fact, it's so powerful, I think it'll resonate in many of your lives and it'll reflect many of your stories. I think there, there's three people that John writes about in this room before they, before they leave the room, before they leave the house and they, and they make their way to Jerusalem there's this little scene John paints that's going on in this room where they're just, they're just having a dinner for Jesus. But there's three people that he writes about, and I just want to pull them out and talk about them for a minute. First of all, he writes about Martha, and Martha is serving. Martha's known to be that kind of person. We just had siblings day, and Patrick asked the siblings, who's the idea person, who's the one who gets things done? Martha is the one who gets things done. We, all, we need people who can get things done in the kingdom of God. Amen? I know there's that story where Martha was serving and Mary was at his feet and Jesus said that Mary had chosen the better portion. And yes, she did. But that doesn't discount Martha's place in the kingdom. We need people who can get things done. I am grateful for people in the kingdom who can get things done. I'm grateful for the Marthas in the house who don't just let things go by the wayside and things get trashed and things get undone. I'm thankful for Marthas who get things done in the house of the Lord and in ministry. Some of you are Marthas. Some of you are people, you see something that needs to be done and you don't ask permission. You don't need to be told how. You don't need to be told when. You just pick it up and get it done. And I, for one, am grateful for the Marthas in this house. We've got a lot of Marthas that are getting things done around. It takes a lot of people to get things done. And I'm just, sometimes I stand back. We have huddles uh, before service uh, on Sundays. And our dream team members come in. I mean, and this whole altar is filled with people who have stepped up to the plate and said, hey, you can count on me. I'll get it done. I mean, we've, we've got greeters, ushers. We have people that are, uh, that are praying for this service in our, on our prayer team. We have children's workers in our nursery and down at Covenant Kids. We have youth leaders. We've got a finance team people who count the money when it's given to help us stay accountable. I mean, we have a church full of people who get things done. And I, for one, am grateful and thankful for all of you. Could you just give yourself a big thank you and say, God bless you. It takes Martha's in the house to get things done. Listen, God calls and equips people to get things done. Amen? What has he called you to do? Look at your neighbor and say, what has he called you to do? What has he equipped you to do? It takes all of us working together to bring the kingdom forward. The, uh, the next person John writes about in the text, though, is not only Martha, who's, who's, who's getting things done and taking care of what needs to be taken care of at the dinner, but he writes about there is this, this sounds so uh, insignificant, the way he paints the picture with his words. He says, there's a guy reclining at the table 
with some other guys. And y'all have like, you know, Thanksgiving meals and all the old men are just sitting around the table. Like when I read this, that's what I, I'm thinking. I'm thinking like, like there's these, you know, the women are scurrying about and they're taking care. They're washing the dishes and cleaning up and they're getting things done. And here's these old guys. They just, they just lazy sitting around the dinner table, chewing the fat, reclining, ain't doing nothing to help out. Can we get a good, can we get a good amen from the ladies in the house? Don't y'all get a little frustrated about us sometimes? We just sit around doing nothing. And John kind of paints, to me, it kind of, it kind of feels like that. He talks about Lazarus and he says, Lazarus is just, I mean, he doesn't say sitting. He literally says reclining like that. When you say recline, that means I'm kicked back. Like that means I ain't doing nothing. You know, that means I'm, I'm taking it easy. He says, Lazarus is sitting there reclining at the dinner table and now, here's, here's, here's what stands out to me. Lazarus, there's no indication he's doing anything. There's no indication he says anything. He's just there. He's just there. Some of y'all didn't hear what I said. He's there. Lazarus is there. He shouldn't be there. This man's body was, was shoved into a tomb not that long ago. And yet John writes and he says, this guy is now there. He's not saying anything. And my hunch is he don't have to say anything. He's just there. He shouldn't be there, but he's there. He was dead, but now he's there. His life was over, but Jesus stepped into his tomb and called him out by name and said, come forth. And now at this dinner table on this day, Lazarus is there. He shouldn't be there, but he's there. He shouldn't be sitting at the table, but he's there. He shouldn't be alive, but he's there. He's not talking. He doesn't have to justify himself. He's not talking. He doesn't have to explain himself. He's not talking. He doesn't have to defend himself. He's just there reclining at the table. And John says that people came, they, the crowds came, the multitudes gathered, not only to see Jesus, but to see the man who's reclining at the table, not saying a word. He's there. Some of y'all have a Lazarus kind of testimony. Some of y'all have made it here and you shouldn't even be here. Some of y'all, you know that, you should, that the enemy tried to take you out and God preserved you. God stepped in and now you are here. Look at somebody and say, thank God I'm here. I'm here. I may not say much. I may just kind of be sitting here, but you don't know my story. The enemy tried to take me out. He tried to end me. He told me that it was over, but Jesus stepped into my tomb and called me by name and said, come forth, and now, thanks be to God, I'm here. How many of you are glad you're here? I love Lazarus' testimony. His testimony is that's all it is. He's just here. He's not talking. He's not doing anything. Just by his presence in the room causes, causes people to peek in the windows and look around the corner of the door and point their fingers and go, he's the one, he's the one, that's the one, that's the one that was dead. That's the one that we visited. That's the one whose funeral we went to. He's the one. 
Listen, some of you have a Lazarus type of testimony. People are going to be awed. They're going to stand in wonder. They're going to stand in amazement because they knew how you used to live. They knew where you came from. They knew where you used to be. They say, that's the one. They used to be over here. They used to live like this. But Jesus stepped in and resurrected you from the chains of your past. And now you're alive and you're free. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to defend yourself. All you can do is just sit here and say, I'm here. I'm here by the grace of God. I made it by his saving hand. Amen. I love Lazarus. Some of y'all have a Lazarus kind of testimony. Just by the fact that you're here testifies to the grace and the goodness of God. Just the fact that you're here proves Jesus' resurrection power. Just the fact that you're here proves that he's faithful. Just the fact that you're here proves that he's good. Just the fact that you're here proves that he is all-powerful and mighty to save. He's well able. So those of you with a Lazarus testimony, let me just encourage you. People who know where you've been, where you come from, knew that you should not be here. You should have died already, but here you are. You don't have to defend yourself. You don't have to speak up for yourself. Just be a walking testimony, a billboard to Jesus' resurrection power. The fact that you're here says it all. I love that about Lazarus in this story. And then the third person that John mentions is Mary. So Martha's serving Lazarus is reclining, but Mary, Mary comes in to this room very intentionally. This is, this is not something she thought about on her way to the dinner. This is something she had planned, something she had prepared, something she had saved up for. This is a moment that, is, that represents the culmination of her story and her testimony. She comes into the room. She breaks out a bottle of perfume that the scripture says is worth a year's worth of wages. I mean, I don't know what that means to you. Some of y'all, that means this is a bottle of perfume that it's worth $30,000, $60,000, $100,000 in modern day terms. Like, this is no joke. She didn't just, in the, in, the, in, the, in the flight of a moment, think about doing this. She planned on doing this and lavishing this on Jesus. She comes into the room. She pours the perfume on Jesus' feet. She, she bows down at his, at his feet in humble intimacy and worships him. And in the story, John says that the fragrance of this act of worship fills the room. So, so picture this. This whole scene, Mary's over here getting stuff done. What needs to be done, she's doing it. Lazarus, the dead man, the man who should not even be here, the man whose funeral we attended is sitting at the table, and then here comes this woman who, by all accounts, she'd not lived the best life. She'd made some bad choices, and maybe she deserves what she gets, but Jesus encountered her path, saved her, and rescued her, and she supported his ministry, and now she's here lavishing worship on Jesus. This is not the kind of worship that is just, you know, fly by night. I think I'll just, you know, raise my hands for a moment. This is costly worship. This kind of worship costs her something. This kind of worship was a sacrifice. 
This kind of worship meant something. There was, there was weight to what Mary did in this moment in this room. She worshiped Jesus with the kind of worship that cost her something. Listen, I, I've, I've been in Honduras last week. I've seen people worship. And the kind of worship Mary's given her is not this Western American little, you know, I think I'll, you know, slip my hand up if nobody's looking or, you know, I'll, you know. I mean, no offense to all the white people out there, but <laughs> I know we struggle. But can I just encourage you? Like, we need to be giving Jesus worship that costs us something. Amen? Like, it's time to lose the concern about our reputations or what we look like or what somebody's going to say or how we appear to others. It's time for the American church to bust out of, of all of our, you know, reservations and start giving Jesus the kind of worship that he deserves, even if it costs you something. Even if you have to lift your voice with a shout, don't worry about what they say about you. Even if you have to dance a little bit, don't worry about what they're saying about you. Give him worship because he's worthy even if it costs you something I wonder if somebody could give him worship right now even if it costs you something I wonder if anybody could stand to your feet and say hallelujah hallelujah to the name of Jesus we bless your name Jesus we praise your name Jesus we're not worried about what people say we're not worried about what people think even if it costs me something I'm going to declare your praises from the fruit of my lips glory to your name Jesus come on give him praise hallelujah hallelujah John doesn't say this, but, but Luke says it in his account of Palm Sunday. When Jesus comes into the city, all these religious folks are gathering around. They're saying, y'all need to quieten down. The, the Romans are going to get all stirred up and get mad at us. And Jesus says, hey, don't quieten these people down. If they don't praise me, the rocks will literally cry out and give me the glory that's due my name. So I don't know about you, but I'm not letting a rock take my place in worship. I'm going to give him praise even if it costs me something. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. So you're getting into emotionalism. It's emotional. It's my story. He said, you're working people up. We need to get worked up. We need to give him praise that costs us something. Amen? He's worth it. And Mary is here lavishing worship. Let me tell you something about costly worship. Costly worship fills the room. I mean, you might be the strange one. You might be the one that's, you know, acting a nut. But costly worship fills the room with the fragrance of the presence of the Lord. When she poured out her, her perfume on the feet of Jesus, the fragrance filled the room. I can't help but imagine that the fragrance of that perfume followed Jesus into the Roman courts and into his trial. I can't help but think that as he stood before Pilate, a little draft of a breeze blew through those, the pillars of those Roman halls and and that draft carried the scent, the fragrance of Mary's worship up to the nostrils of Jesus. And while he's being unjustly sentenced, he remembers the worship that a broken woman gave him. 
and it encouraged his spirit. I can't help but think that as they, as they tore and, 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 and gambled over his clothes and they beat him, that that fragrance of worship followed him all the way to the cross. Let me tell you something. There is something powerful about worship that costs you something. You remember in the story in uh, is it 1 Samuel 24, David, he had made a mistake and God's judgment was falling on the nation of Israel. And David said, I got to put an end to this. So he, he, the prophet says, you need to go to Aruna the Jebusite's threshing floor and you need to build an altar and worship God there. So, so the king goes to the Jebusite's threshing floor and he goes to buy it. He says, I want to buy your threshing floor. I want to build an altar and put a stop to, what, stop to the, to the uh, condemnation that's falling on our nation. And Aruna the Jebusite says, fine, sure, here, you can have it. David says, no, 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 I am not going to take something from you that costs me nothing. I'm not going to worship, give God worship that costs me nothing. He pays the Jebusite full price for the threshing floor, builds an altar, and the angel of God shows up and stops the pestilence at that point. Stops the pestilence over the nation at that point because David gave God worship that costs him something. Listen, there's power when we give God worship that costs us something. It's a sacrifice of praise, but when we give it to our Lord, that will stop the pestilence over your family. When we give him costly worship, that'll stop the pestilence in your city. That'll stop the pestilence in your homes. That'll stop the pestilence in your jobs. That'll stop, the pe that'll stop and silence the voice of the enemy in your life when you give him worship that costs him something. It's no longer a day to give the Lord worship that's shallow and flighty. Worship that's just, well, if I feel like it, or, you know, if, if it's a good day, if they sing the right song, or if the weather's, no, 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 no. We have to bring the sacrifice of praise to our God because of who he is, not because of our circumstances, not because of how we feel. It's because of who he is. He's unchanging, and he's always good, and I promise you he's always worthy. Yeah. So let's give him costly worship that stops the pestilence in our nation. Amen? Amen. Mary gave him that kind of worship. Amen. All right, let's read the text in Palm Sunday. Oh, we'll get there. Uh, John 12, uh, where do we live? Verse 12. This is what we commemorate today. Scripture says, the next day the great crowd had come for the festival, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches, and they went out to meet him shouting. Notice what they shout. This is a, a quote from the Old Testament. They shout, Hosanna. Everybody say that word, Hosanna. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed, and, and, and they are, this is the first time that they are acknowledging and, and attributing as an as a nation, they're attributing kingship to Jesus. Like they are, they're affirming with their mouths in the city, he is our king. Now, according to Roman law, they have just committed treason, but they're, they're acknowledging Jesus as their coming king. And, they say, and then it says, Jesus found a young don donkey and sat on it, as it is written. And again, here's another Old Testament quote. We're going to look at these two quotes real quick. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. 
At first, his disciples did not understand this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now, the crowd that was with him, when he called Lazarus from the tomb, there he is again, and was raised from the dead, continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said one to another, see, I, I love this. And if we get a hold of this, this is going to be what the enemy's saying over you. See, this is getting us nowhere. Like we're trying to kill him. We're trying to put a stop to this. And this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. I want to take this text and just look at three responses that we see here. First of all is that word Hosanna. The word Hosanna literally means, it doesn't mean praise like a lot of people think. It means save us now. That's what Hosanna means. They're crying out to Jesus as he comes into the streets of Jerusalem. King, save us now. Now there's, of course, there's two things going on here. There, many in the crowd that day are thinking of Roman rule and being subjects to, to, an, to an empire that has overtaken their nation. And they're saying, let's throw off Rome and let's become our own people once again. So Jesus, you do it. Save us. We've seen you perform miracles. We've seen you heal. We've seen you cast out demons. Now take it up another level and let's get like military level with your power and come and save us from Rome. That's going on. But of course, we know that's not Jesus's purpose, right? He sees into, he sees into human history. Jesus could at that moment see the day that we now stand in when the Roman Empire is just a figment of our imaginations. It's just a wisp of smoke and is no longer uh, in existence. So he's not too worried about Rome. What he's worried about is our salvation and our freedom for eternity. Amen. So on another level, they're saying, save us now. Save us from our sin. Save us from our rebellion. Save us from the evil one. And that's the true meaning of Hosanna. It's God, Jesus, you have come. Now save us. Save us. We see that text in Psalm 118, 25 and 26. The psalmist says, Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. So Jesus comes into Jerusalem riding, not on, a, not on a horse, not on a stallion, not with armor, like a, you know, like a military general. He purposely, and according to the prophecies that were spoken over him, comes riding in on a very humble animal, a donkey, a, a young donkey, just to signify, just to, just almost as if to communicate, I'm not here for a military takeover. I'm here to save from the inside out. I didn't just come for all of you Jews. I'm here for these Gentiles and these Romans and these Italians as well. I'm here to, 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 to throw open the doors of heaven so that, so that even Gentiles can be heirs to the seed of Abraham through my blood. So he comes into the city riding on a donkey, people acknowledging, celebrating in this big fanfare and parade. They're waving palm branches. No doubt the Hebrews are taking off their prayer shawls and laying them on the ground as he, as he parades into and through the city. And the people cry out, Hosanna, save us now. That needs to be our cry in this day. Lord, save us now. Forgive us for turning 
to alternative ways of salvation. Forgive us for turning to the right and to the left. Forgive us, God, for putting our hope or our trust in other things and things that the world offers and the things, enticements that, 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 that steer us and attract us away from you. Jesus, you are our only hope. So forgive us for seeking other answers, answers and you save us now. Let that be the cry of the modern church. Jesus, Hosanna, blessed are you who comes in the name of the Lord. You save us now. You're the only one who can. We put our hope, our trust in you. The other quote that John mentions here is the quote from Zechariah 9. It says, do not be afraid, daughters. I see your, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. That quote, do not be afraid. There's a lot of commands in, in Scripture. This is the most often repeated command to the people of God. Don't be afraid. Don't fear. In some form, God is constantly telling us, don't be afraid. Don't fear. He repeats it to us over and over. Don't let your heart be troubled. Put your trust in me. Don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. Do not worry. What a message that the modern church needs to hear. Don't let your minds remain unsettled. Don't let your emotions get shifted from one side to the next like sand blown by the wind. Be firm, steadfast, unmovable, unshakable. Don't be afraid. Be confident in the Lord your God who is mighty to save. He's well able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all you can ask or think. Church, don't fear. Put your hope in him. Let him be your strength. Stop letting worry, stop letting fear, stop letting the aroused motion of, emotion of panic overtake you in unsuspecting moments. Amen. Be rooted and grounded in the steadfastness of our God and don't be afraid. Don't let anxiety rob you. Amen. Don't let stress take away from you. Don't let fear steal from you anymore. Amen. Don't let it rob you of the kingdom attributes that are yours to walk in. The attributes of joy. The attributes of peace. Don't let these things take kingdom attributes away from you, children of God. The joy of the Lord is yours and it is your strength. Don't be afraid. And the last thing I'll point out in this text is, is not the quotes from the Old Testament, but it's actually what the Pharisees say. With all that's going on and the people who are coming to, to, to put their faith in Christ, not only because of the miracles that Christ has done that they've seen, but because the man Lazarus is there. He's walking around. He doesn't say much, but again, apparently he doesn't have to. Just his presence causes people to trust God. And they, and they look at all that's going on. They try to calm it down. They, they can't get, the Pharisees can't get control of the situation. And I love what they say. They say, the whole world will come to him if this doesn't, if somebody doesn't put a lid on this. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that the point? <laughs> right. 
Yes and amen, the whole world will come to him. The glory of the Lord will cover the earth like the waters, the sea, and knowledge of the Lord will be exalted above knowledge of anything else. And they say, this is getting us nowhere. I just feel like that's a word for some of y'all. Like some people, some people, that has been your word. The thing that you feel and the message in your life, the resounding thought in your mind has been for you, man, it feels like I'm getting nowhere. How many of you felt that way? I, it feels like I'm not getting any, I try and I struggle and I'm pushing and I'm, I'm striving, but man, it feels like I'm getting nowhere. It feels like, it seems like I'm not, I'm not making progress. Can I just encourage you with this? Your response to Jesus, your worship to Jesus that costs you something, is going to cancel the assignment of the enemy. And what you've been saying, he's going to start saying. You've been saying, it feels like I'm getting nowhere. But you're about to flip this thing on his head, and now he's going to start saying, it feels like I'm getting nowhere. It feels like I'm getting no Every attack I send to them, it just bounces off of them. Every time I come against them, it seems like the Lord's raising up a standard that I can't get through. Every time I come against them with accusations and thoughts and, and temptations, it's like the Lord has just raised up a hedge that I can't penetrate. The enemy is going to start saying the thing that you've been saying. It's, it feels like I'm getting nowhere with them. In Jesus' name. You give the Lord your worship. You put the, your trust in the Lord your God. Don't be, don't be anxious. Don't fear. Stand firm in the Lord. And what you've been saying where it feels like you've been getting nowhere, the enemy's going to start saying about that about you. He's not going to get anywhere with you. He's not going to gain ground in your life any longer. Because every time he attacks, you throw up your hands in worship that costs you something. Every time he comes against you, you say, I'm not going to be discouraged. I'm going to be encouraged because the Lord is my strength. Every time he comes and he attacks you and he tries to tempt you, you come to and you lay yourself across the mercy seat of God and you said, by Jesus' blood, I am saved. I'm blood bought. I'm redeemed. Back to God according to his mercy. Every time he brings up the accusations of things you've done in your past, you say, I don't remember them because he doesn't remember them. I'm boldly, I have boldly approached the throne room of grace. I obtain mercy every time I need it. And the enemy's going to say about you, it feels like I'm getting nowhere with them. Praise God. It feels like I can't get anywhere with these children of God. It feels like all of the worry and anxiety that I, that I had them so tied up in, they've, they've broken free out of all that. And now they're filled with the joy of the Lord and they're strong. It feels like I'm getting nowhere with the sons and the daughters of God. How many of you are ready to just frustrate the devil? How many of you are ready to just make him run in circles, frustrated, tied up, confused, his gritting his teeth, so mad and aggravated and agitated? How many of you are ready just to throw up your hands and worship and say, get him, God? Jesus, just get him. Just do your thing, Jesus. I'm here to worship you. I'm not here to fight. I'm not here to defend. I'm just here to worship you. Get him, Jesus. Thwart the plans of my enemy and make him run in seven ways. Can we stand to our feet this morning?
In Jesus' name, I just declare over you. The enemy has come in one way. He has advanced against you. He's taken ground that was yours. He's come in and advanced one way. He thought that singular attack was going to take you down. He had labeled you Lazarus. And he had said over you, this is going to kill him. This is going to kill her. This is going to end their story. But even though the enemy came in one way with a singular attack against you. And all hope was lost. And dark days were upon you. And you laid in a tomb of death, rotting in misery and hopelessness, there came a Savior who broke through the doorway of your despair, who rolled back that stone and called you by your name and said, come forth. It's not too late. Jesus spoke life into your tomb. And he said, get up out of that grave. You're not dead. It's not over. And though the enemy came in one way, he will flee seven. The name of our God will arise and his enemies will be scattered. Because God is a standard against the one who tries to kill us. Amen. Come on, let's just lift up our hands and give him praise. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hosanna. Save us now. Save us now, Jesus. You're our only hope. We give you praise. We give you worship. Save us. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You are our strength, Lord Jesus. Amen and amen. Amen. Can we just, let's just sing this song. How many feel like celebrating the victory that is ours in Jesus? Let's sing with Keith. Let's just, let's worship him to victory. Let's worship him to breakthrough. Amen. Come on, let's worship. Thank you for listening to the New Covenant Worship Center Sermon Podcast. We are located in Athens, Georgia, and would love to have you visit us on a Sunday. Or you can check us out at our website at ncwc.org.